1. I know the bulletin says Luke 17. We're going to pick that up, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. Uh, tonight I wanted to come to Psalm 91. I thought it would be a good way to end the day. I, I uh, preached on this as well for Rosemary's funeral. And um, it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful psalm of comfort. Luther, Martin Luther said this is the most distinguished jewel among all the psalms of consolation. The most distinguished jewel among all the Psalms of Consolation. And so let's give our attention tonight to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. If you have your Bible, um, I just encourage you to keep it open. Tonight we'll be referring back to it many times. And, and I think it will help just make the Psalm, um, make you familiar with it and um, delight in it. If you can just sort of be seeing the words for yourself. Psalm 91. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know exactly the context in which it was written. Um, in that way, in some sense, it becomes a psalm for the church through the ages that we can easily apply to ourselves. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. <clears throat> because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. <clears throat> Let's ask the Lord to bless. Oh God in heaven, tonight as we come to this beautiful psalm, I pray, Lord, that the truths contained here would be rich, vibrant, real, um, heart-arresting, uh, that we would be, Lord, captivated by what a, a magnificent God you are, and the, the blessing, the unbelievable privilege of, of abiding in the shelter of the Almighty, that your faithfulness is our shield and buckler. Lord, I just pray that you would speak your peace to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, written in uh, 1563 by Olivianus and Zacharias Ursinus. They liked Latin names back then. Uh, it begins with that classic question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Uh, Ursinus, in his commentary on uh, the Catechism, answers um, the question of uh, why he, uh, why did you begin with that? Why did you begin with that question? And your sinus answers by saying, the question of comfort is treated first because all divine truth has been revealed by God on this account or to this end for this purpose. 
All divine truth has been revealed by God to the end for the purpose of comfort. And, uh, and he means deep, solid, uh, sure comfort. Uh, or Sinus explains in his commentary, he's not talking about sort of, a, of just a feeling of assurance, but um, an objective ground for assurance, a solid comfort in, in life. Uh, he writes this, a comfort is that which results from a certain process of reasoning in which we oppose something good to something evil, that by a proper consideration of this good, we may ease our grief and patiently endure the evil. The good which we oppose to the evil must necessarily be great and certain in proportion to the magnitude of the evil. If you're dealing with a big evil, you're going to need a big truth, a big um, good to oppose it. And since we seek consolation, he writes, against the greatest evil, which is sin and everlasting death, it is not possible that anything short of the highest good can be a sufficient remedy for it. <clears throat> Tonight in Psalm 91, we have that uh, highest good laid out for us. Uh, in Psalm 91, the highest good being God himself and all that God promises to uh, those who abide in him, those who dwell in him. And so tonight we're going to begin by looking at the reasons for comfort, the reasons for confidence, for assurance and solace uh, that we have here in Psalm 91, so that we can uh, we leave tonight bold people, um, confident, assured in the love of God and what God has promised to us. The uh, the psalmist gives us many reasons for comfort. Let me just uh, highlight them. First, notice um, that he, he references in many different ways the character or the person of God. That, that the, the foundational reason for comfort for a Christian is God himself, what he's like, who he is. The, the psalmist uses four different uh, terms, names for God in these first two verses, all of them wonderful assurances. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Uh, when the psalmist thinks of God, uh, he thinks of the Most High God. He's King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Kidner in his commentary says this is a title which cuts every threat down to size. As we saw this morning, there is no rule above the rule of Jesus Christ. There's no reign above his reign. There's no authority above or beyond or beside him. Jesus alone inhabits his throne. And though there are many rivals in the hearts of men, aren't there? There are many, many gods, small g, in the hearts of men. There are no equals in the heights of heaven. He's, he's God most high. If you, would, if you dwell there in the, in the, in the, in the tabernacle of the most high... But what can harm you there? Uh, he is the Almighty God. It's interestingly is the name that God revealed himself uh, to the patriarchs. Uh, he says in Exodus chapter 6 verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said, I appear to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty. Uh, the God who is El Shaddai, protector and provider. The God who is able to, be, uh, to keep them. Remember, they're in a scary place. They are uh, aliens in a pagan land. And the pagans don't really have the rules that Israel would have uh, regarding how to treat aliens. 
foreigners. So they're, they're, they're alone, a little, a little island in this vast world of paganism, and, and God says, I am El Shaddai to you. He's an almighty God. He's the Lord, Jehovah, the covenant name of God, the name that he revealed himself to Moses. I am that I am. Uh, the God who, who makes promises and binds himself to people. The God who is full of steadfast love and tender mercies. And the psalmist says he's, he's God, uncreated, eternal, maker of everything, set apart to himself, robed in the splendor of his holiness. You see, and it's, it's precisely because God is all of these things, the Most High, the Almighty Protector and Provider, the Lord God who makes and keeps promises that the, the writer can say, I'm going to trust him. I will say of the Lord, this Lord, this God, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And he uses then four metaphors to go with the four names, uh, describing the comfort and the security of a believer when they go to this God. He is a shelter. He's a shadow or a shade, protection from the sun. He's a refuge. He's a fortress. And all of those terms, you see, just speak of security and comfort. Boys and girls, uh, do you ever um, make forts? Maybe um, under the kitchen table or maybe you get some cardboard boxes. Uh, back on the farm, we used to make forts out of uh, bales of hay. And we'd dig tunnels through the bales of hay and put boards over the top. And then we'd put hay bales. Uh, one of my uh, enduring memories... Uh, as a child is um, having a, we had a wonderful fort up in the Haymile. You couldn't see it because all, it, the hay bale, they were all flat. It was underneath that. And um, uh, we were up there and, and mom, for some reason, was up. She wasn't usually up in the Haymile. <clears throat> we must have been uh, loading some more hay. So mom's in the Haymile. Uh, we knew where the fort was. Mom didn't know where the, <laughs> where the fort was. And unfortunately, the, the roof gave in right when she was standing on top of it. And so um, mom collapses with a shriek down into our fort, sure that she was a goner. And <laughs> oh boy, how did that come to mind? <clears throat> But she survived, and she forgave us. <laughs> she came out of there pretty quickly, though. <clears throat> um, but why do we do forts, guys, boys and girls? What's so cool about a fort? Well, forts are they're just places of safety. They're places you can hide, and nobody knows you're there. Uh, they're just, there's something warm and comforting. There's security in a fort. It's great to be in a fort. Well, big people need forts, too. Big people get scared, too. Uh, we, live in a, we live in a scary world, and boys and girls, the world kind of stays scary, even, uh, at least it seems scary. Uh, things happen, uh, hard things, uh, terminal diseases and debilitating illnesses and, and accidents that just turn your life around. Things that you really treasure in life can be lost in a moment. You can lose your job uh, tomorrow. Uh, the life that we just take for granted in this country could be gone in an instant. We know this uh, somewhere deep in our psyche. We, we know that it's not safe, and so we, we try to protect ourselves with insurance policies and with, with plans and strategies, exercise regimens. But, the, but the, those things are all good in their own place, but there, there's not real protection there, not ultimately. <clears throat> and then there are the spiritual dangers that we just 
too seldom think about. The, the, the danger of great temptation. There's a roaring lion, and he's looking to devour you. There are debilitating doubts. Have you ever just prayed, Lord, don't let me, don't let me fall into a season of doubt, of, of, of real, real questioning in a sense that your faith is shaken and, and there's, you can't find comfort like you once could. That, that's a terrible place to be. We recognize that it's, it's not a spiritually safe world either. If you're, if you're aware of what's going on in your own heart, who has not felt the, the, the presence of lurking sin, Satan crouching at the door, wanting uh, to, to snare us? Who, who hasn't felt the power of, of sinful temptation from your flesh or just from your wounded emotion? And, and you know you shouldn't be responding the way that you're responding, and yet you do. See, there are, there are great dangers spiritually, both physically and spiritually, and, and dangers that threaten our, our immediate and our eternal happiness and comfort. And so the writer invites us to this beautiful place of solace. He who dwells, those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's a wonderful promise for Christians in a scary world. And, and God promises this abundant protection in the midst of troubles. If you look at verses 3 through 13, the psalmist in verse 2 says, this is my God, my Lord. I'm going to trust in him. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. And he can be yours too. He will do these things for you. Notice the, 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 the pronouns change. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. This is not just the author's God, but, but he, he wants us to, to say that this is my God, this is our God. There's wonderful things promised. But, but notice how, uh, as the author is writing these things, he, he doesn't, he, he explains life in a way that makes us realize we're in the midst of these things. We've got the flaming arrows of the, the devil one, the, the snare of the fowler. These things are flying around. There are terrors by night, things that we, that we dread, things that we fear, things we're anxious about. We live in the midst of trouble. It's, it's just true. But we don't need to fear trouble. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. The troubles are there, but, but, but there's something greater than the trouble. You see, that's exactly what your sinus was talking about. We, we have a, a great good to oppose, to set up against the, the great evil, the, the, the danger. And, and the great good is what? It's God, God himself. He will cover, he, the living God, the most high God, the almighty God, will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. What a wonderful place to have a fort. Under the protection of almighty God. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, a shield and a buckler. Those would be the, the, the two shields. One, a very large one that protects your whole body. The other, a portable one that you would hold. It just means that you're protected completely. God's faithfulness does this. And that's, the, that's the, the, the message you find throughout Scripture. When Paul talks about the devil 
um, with his, his fiery darts of temptation. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is what? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You don't need to fear the temptation. God himself is faithful. And so even though there's, there's carnage, spiritually speaking, all around, though a thousand may fall at your right side and 10,000 at your right hand, we don't need to be afraid. Because you've made the most, the Lord, your dwelling, the most high, who is my refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. When you're dwelling in God, you're safe, even though there's plagues all around. Spurgeon says this, how true this is, of the plague of moral evil, of heresy, of backsliding. Whole nations are affected. Yet the man who communes with God is not affected by the contagion. He holds the truth when falsehood is all the fashion. We've seen movements like that when falsehood is all the fashion. Professors all around him are plague-smitten. The church is wasted. The very life of religion decays. But in the same place and time, in fellowship with God, the believer renews his youth and mounts up on wings like eagles. That's what God does for you, for you, because you've made the Lord your dwelling, the Lord your most high is your refuge. Again, it doesn't mean we don't suffer in this life. We're going to suffer. Right To this, we've been called. We know this. But it means that we don't suffer harm. We don't suffer harm. God promises that whatever trials he brings into our life, even, and whatever temptations he allows in our life, uh, that, that he's, he is sovereignly at work to, to work those things out for our our ultimate good. So, so, and we've seen this in our own lives. We've seen this in the lives of those we love. Financial losses become spiritual gain. I've had people say to me, um, you know, back when the whole thing collapsed in 2008, I lost, um, lost everything, and it was the best thing that happened to me. I had that conversation just this summer with someone. Best thing that happened to me. Physical illness can produce spiritual health. How many people haven't testified exactly to that? The death of earthly dreams gives rise and to eternal dreams. God has ways of reorienting the things that we, that we long for and hope for through trials. Reproach before men be, brings honor before God. And so you see, no matter what the devil might throw at us or what God brings to us, we simply can't suffer harm if we've made the Lord our dwelling. He protects us. He will command his angels concerning you, verse 11, to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. I love uh, the uh, fact that the early Jewish, the, the, the Jewish rabbis believed this was a messianic psalm. A psalm pointing to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the reason they, they said that is because uh, only the Messiah is going to live this kind of charmed life. Uh, he's, he's not going to suffer the way that men do. Now, of course, we know that when the Messiah came, he was a man of sorrows. 
acquainted with grief. But the devil apparently heard them talking or whatever because the devil, right, he quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus. Remember? Throw yourself off. The, the angels will catch you. Uh, they'll, they'll, uh, and, he, and he quotes Psalm 91. He'll command his angels to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus says, well, it's also written, don't tempt God. Jesus could have said, it's also written, I just love that the devil quotes verses 11 and 12, never thinking about verse 13. You will tread upon the lion, the Messiah, and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. He's going to crush the serpent's head. He never, the devil never thought about that when he's quoting Psalm 91. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Isn't the, isn't the beautiful, the irony of Scripture? God's angels are given to help, to guard. We don't know exactly how, and there's a lot of sort of uh, speculation about how angels are involved, but we're told here in other places in Scripture that they are, that there is divine aid. That's that's an incredible thought. That God has has made angels your servants, and, and angels, real angels, are sent to guard you, to help you. It'll be fascinating in heaven to see all the ways that that was true in our life. But the greatest comfort, of course, is knowing that the God of angels cares for us, and God of angels watches over us, and and the God of angels has committed himself to us. And so the psalm ends with eight wonderful promises. If you have your Bible there, the last um, three verses, 14, 15, and 16, eight promises packed into these three little verses. I will deliver him, God says. I will deliver him. Weeping may remain for the night, but you're going to be delivered. the trial isn't the, the end of the story. I will protect him, even in the trial, through the trial, maybe from the trial, but, but God promises I will protect him. I will answer him. That's a great psalm to take when, when you are you're praying your prayers and there doesn't seem to be any answer. It just seems like the, the heavens are brass. You don't, you don't feel like God is hearing at all. You can take Psalm 91 and you can say, okay, here's a reason for comfort. God cannot lie. He promises, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You're not alone, no matter how alone you might feel. It's not true. Let God be true and our feelings be liars. I will rescue him. Very similar to delivering him. Our destiny, you see, is victory. Our destiny is that we're going to conquer. I will honor him. That's an amazing idea. That God is going to honor you. That glory and honor will be given to to you and to me. I mean, we're so far from glory and honor, it's, it's hard for us even to imagine the blessedness of this. And yet when it happens, you're going to be overwhelmed that that you should be counted worthy in Christ to be honored, to be be glorified. It's, It's amazing. With long life, I will satisfy him. Another promise. Now, I think this could partly be a reference to long life here on earth, Uh, but but. Commentators generally agree, but that can't be the, the fullness of it. Um, because, because even a long life here on earth, those who, are, who have made the Lord their dwelling place, they're, they're not satisfied with a long life. Have you noticed that? 
old, old saints don't say, um, well, I need nothing more. I've had 90 years. They might say, I need nothing more in this world. That's because they, they've realized that there's nothing in this world that can ultimately satisfy. But they don't, they don't say, even if there were no heaven, right, this would be enough. Nobody says that. Why? Because only eternity with God can satisfy the eternity God's placed in your heart. In fact, the older you get, the more you realize nothing here is going to do it. Nothing can satisfy with long life is meaning everlasting life in the presence of God. And I think the next phrase seals that idea and show him my salvation. That's the mother load, the essential promise. God will show us all the riches, all the fullness of all that he has accomplished for us. We're going to see all of it. It's going to be made manifest to us. And of course, that promise in and of itself uh, in, uh, becomes um, revealed when Jesus Christ comes, right? Jesus is the salvation of God made manifest. He's, he's displayed his salvation in his son. So I could give you many texts that speak of this. Let me give you two. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest, revealed, displayed God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 1 Peter 1.20, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him, Jesus, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, as New Testament Christians, to dwell in this shelter of the Most High God is to dwell in the shelter then of Jesus Christ. It's to come into the, into the beautiful refuge that God has provided in His Son, in, in Jesus Christ. There's a requirement. Uh, maybe you've noticed this in, in the psalm. There's a distinguishing. A he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High that person abides in the shadow of the Almighty. He who does not dwell in the shelter of the Most High, that person will not abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, you have the same thing at the end of the psalm. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. When he calls, I will answer him. But you see, if, if, if you don't hold fast to God in love, if, if, if you don't know the name of God, if you don't call on God, you're not going to experience the blessings of Psalm 91. There's a distinguishing that takes place here. You see, the, the promises, the blessings, are for those who've come to Christ in faith, and, it, and that's a true faith. It's a faith that's revealed by the psalmist himself. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a faith that actually lays hold of God, lays hold of Christ. There are billions of people who believe in God the way the devil believes in God. They believe that he exists. But they've never moved towards him to lay, a, lay claim on him. They, they've never said, this is my refuge. This is my fortress. This is my God. I have placed my trust on him. But that's the essence of saving faith. It's not just believing you see the truths. It's, it's saying, it's taking those truths for yourself. Spurgeon again says, it is but poor comfort to say, the Lord is a refuge. But to say he is my refuge is the essence of consolation. 
to say he's my refuge is the essence of consolation. I think we do a, uh, too often in the church, we sort of allow ourselves to, to float generically above the promises without reaching down and, and getting our, our hands down into the soil of God's truth and what God has said and what God has done in Jesus Christ and then, and then hanging onto that and making that, that our, it's our truth. See, because Christ will not be a comfort and he will not be a consolation. The faithfulness of God will not, he just won't do anything for you unless you've actually laid hold of Christ and you've taken him for yourself. I'd like to read just to show how this works from your sinus's commentary. If you're looking just for some great reading, I can, this is this is Ursinus's commentary on the Heidelberg, be great devotional reading. But he, he he's talking about here about the comfort and how this works. He says, this comfort alone is solid, the comfort of a Christian, because it alone never fails. Not in no, not in death. For whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If you've taken Christ to yourself. And he says, secondly, this comfort is solid because it alone remains unshaken. And sustains us under all the temptations of Satan, who often thus assails the Christian. And he gives the things that Satan will say to you. One, thou art a sinner. To this, comfort replies, Christ has satisfied for my sins and redeemed me with his own precious blood, so that I am no longer my own, but belong to him. The devil replies, but thou art a child of wrath and an enemy of God. And the Christian says, I am indeed such by nature and before my reconciliation, but I have been reconciled to God and received into his favor through Christ. The devil replies, but thou shalt surely die. The answer, Christ has redeemed me from the power of death, and I know that through him I shall come forth from death unto eternal life. But many evils in this meantime will befall the righteous. Answer, but our Lord defends and preserves us under them and makes them work together for our good. But what if thou fall far from the grace of Christ? For thou thou mayest, uh, mayest sin and faint, for it is a long and difficult road to heaven. Answer, Christ has not only merited and conferred his benefits upon me, but he also continually preserves me in them and grants me perseverance that I may neither faint nor fall from his grace. But what if his grace does not extend to thee? And thou art not of the number who are the Lord's. Ever heard the devil say that to you? What if grace is true, but it's, it's not yours? What if you're not elect? What if you're not one of God's children? Answer, but I know that grace does extend to me and that I am Christ's. Because the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. And because I have true faith. For the promise is general, extending to all them that believe. You see, so he's just saying, God says, if you believe then, you will be saved. Well, I, it's a general promise. And I've laid hold of it. I believe. But thy faith is weak, the devil says. And thy conversion imperfect. And the Christian answer is, yet it is nevertheless true and unfeigned. And I have the blessed assurance that to him that hath shall be given, Luke 19, 26. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. 
In this most severe and dangerous conflict, which all the children of God experience, Christian consolation remains immovable and at length concludes, therefore Christ, with all his benefits, pertains even to me. Friends, you, there is no greater comfort, no greater joy than to be able to say that exact thing, that Christ, with all of his benefits, pertains to this sinner pertains to me. Jesus is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. I trust in him. Is that what you say? Can you say that tonight? Is that, is that, is that true for you? Do you sense what an amazing thing it is to be able to say that's true? That that. Your life, your eternity, and, your, and, and the time, the years you spend in this world are, are defined by God's love to you in Jesus Christ and all the, promise that are, the promises that are yours in Christ. And no matter what the devil says, no matter how he might uh, want us to doubt or question, in Jesus Christ, we have a refuge. We have a fortress. We dwell there, and we abide there in the shadow of the Almighty. Friend, what is your comfort? What do, you, what do you rest in? What do you, what do you hope for? Where's your, where's your comfort? Where's your confidence when you bail into this coming week? What do you, what, end of the day, what are, you, what are you trusting in? What are you resting on? I hope your comfort is that, that I with body and soul and life and in death am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins, has redeemed me from the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, all things must work together for my salvation. I pray that's your confession. That's a life of comfort, confidence, and solace. May it be your life and mine. Let's pray together. God in heaven, uh, this word is, is for anxious people, nervous people, worried people, people who are running hard and fast trying to keep things together. People who medicate our fears, with creaturely comforts, with busy schedules, pharmaceuticals maybe. Lord, we, we, want to, we want to dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. We want to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We want to call upon the Lord and and trust in the Lord as though your word is true. We want to love you. We want to know your name. So that, Lord, our faith is bearing fruit of love and joy and peace. So that, Lord, when people look at us, particularly, Lord, as the headlines get more chaotic, as there's more confusion more fear all around us. 
that we could stand as your people with a quiet confidence in God. The Lord will provide. We've said to the Lord, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my God in whom I trust. Oh God, I just pray that you'd move us beyond a, a general acquaintance with these truths and to an intimate experience of them so that it changes how we live. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the answer to every demonic temptation and accusation thrown against us. That he is able to keep us to the end. He is able to hold us fast. He's able to keep us from falling and to present us without fault and with great joy before our only God. And oh, Father, I pray that that would be the confidence in which we live. That would be the comfort in which we sleep. So, Father, bring us there and keep us there. Hold us in your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing that.